0: Uh, today we're going to be in John chapter 1 again. I know, it's okay, this is the last one. Um, John chapter 1, if you want to open your Bibles and, and just have them open there the whole time, I'm going to be referring back to that. I have to read it here in a minute. Now, if, you're a, if you write sermons, you know you have to have a hook right at the beginning, something to grab your audience and, and make them want to listen to you. Well, um, so I was thinking, uh, my sermon is on light, and I like to be creative, and I like to be a little... Uh, edgy. So I was thinking, like, what could I do with light that's creative and fun that would get your attention? I was going to black out all the windows and have a spotlight up here um, and just shine it in your face. But um, I thought that might be a bad idea. Uh, I also thought about a, uh, a strobe light and just have a strobe light going the whole time I'm preaching. Um, but I didn't want people to have seizures. Uh, I thought about um, something with fire. Um, but then, and you guys would have remembered that, right? You would, have been, you would have talked about, "Hey, remember that time Garrett lit himself on fire on the stage, and we thought he was doing it on purpose, so we were just laughing, and the fire department came." Oh, so I, <laughs> so these were all bad ideas I was having. And then um, I was driving here this morning during the sunrise, and so like every time I looked up from the road, the sky was a different color. You know, God was casting light on these clouds, and and it was turning different colors and. So God was giving his own introduction to my sermon, I thanked him for that. And, um, and then I pulled into um, this storefront in Mo- on Monticello here, and all of the stores were dark except for one shining light. It was Starbucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I went in and had my light for the morning. Um, so all of these things, I, I couldn't come up with an intro for my sermon. Uh, so sorry about that. Will you pray with me? <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, I thank you for, uh, for being light. I thank you for who you are and how you've blessed us and how you love us, uh, God. I just pray that um, today, as we as we look at John chapter one and light and uh, and flesh and, and how you've worked through these things, God, I pray that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. So just now, I pray, Amen. All right, let's go ahead and read through John chapter one, one through fourteen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him, all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now today we're going to be talking about light. The Greek word for light is phos. Um, And in verse... um, Verse 9, um, we have this uh, beautiful description of Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so we have phos, the true light that gives light. The word there is photizo. Uh, it could also be translated enlightened. So to God, who, the light that enlightens. All right, and this word enlighten, that's not a word we use a lot uh, in our Christian tradition. Um, because it's tied pretty closely to other religions. Uh, other religions use this. World religions use this word quite a bit. It's one of, um, uh, and, and we see that last week we talked about John, how he uh, how he brought another religion, another truth from uh, from the Greek philosophy, and he said um, this idea that you have about God being a, a creator and uh, the Logos, the Word, He is, and he said that's true. That is Jesus. And so he takes other religions and he points them towards Jesus. Um, And so uh, the truth uh, is that the the word enlightenment and the idea of enlightenment is found in the Christian tradition. Uh, It's found here in our text. And uh, even though we we try to shy away from it, what we would like to do is focus on the outer dimension. This enlightenment is kind of an inner dimension of our faith. And we talked about John. deals a lot with the inner dimensions of our faith and uh, But the outer dimension of of enlightenment is discipleship. And we use that word quite a bit. We're pretty comfortable with that word. Um, We see Jesus calling disciples, right? Living with them, teaching them, demonstrating, walking with them, building this relationship with them. Discipleship um, is Jesus' plan uh, for evangelism to see that enlightenment uh, as an internal aspect of discipleship, which is going on externally. See, Jesus had this plan um, as discipleship was the way he evangelized. He drew crowds, of course, um, with his wisdom and with his teaching and with his miracles. Um, but his plan uh, wasn't uh, miracles weren't his plan for evangelism. And the crowds weren't his plan uh, to save the world. I mean, the miracles were cool. Uh, they healed people. That's awesome. But these people still ended up getting sick and dying. Okay? So his miracles weren't his plan to save the world. His plan, where he invested the most, the most time, was this small group of friends he called disciples, all right? And he taught them, and he loved them, and he challenged them, and he made sure that they grew to become the men that they needed to be so that he could entrust them with his mission, all right, with his kingdom. And then he gave them the mission, go make disciples. Now, a discipleship a disciple is a learner. The fundamental posture of a learner is, is, is humble a uh, disciple is a humble learner. right So we're to place ourselves under a master and be humble and learn underneath him. And this process of discipleship starts with imitation. right You, you see something you like in someone and you start to imitate that and you start to do the things that they do. Um, now I'd like you to think back to maybe who, who was it that made you want to become a Christian? Who, who was it that you saw something in them and you thought I want to be like them and then you discovered, or that's Jesus, and you started to follow that. Um, maybe it was uh, your parents, maybe a, a famous Christian, maybe, uh, maybe probably a friend. For me, it was Donnie Rickmeyer. And so when I was in high school, uh, I, I started high school not a Christian yet. Okay? See, you can tell by this picture I was not a Christian yet. I have repented since then. Um, <laughs> you can see my, my white denim shorts. And my over my two big polo shirt. Now this is the outfit I picked out for the first day of high school. This is what defined me. I, I was trying really hard here to fit in to be whatever it is I was supposed to be. In my first day of high school. Um, I was really going for the nine hundred two one zero thing. You know that was popular back then. So um so yeah I I've come a long way hopefully you know. You know. But Zach said Zach told me earlier he's like you look exactly the same. I was like, oh. <laughs> but um. So this is me, my first day of high school. Not a Christian yet, didn't go to church. Actually had some, had some uh, ideas about Jesus, and I had already written that off. I had already um, decided that Jesus was not the way for me. I had some maybe false ideas about who Jesus was. And then I met Donnie Rickmeyer, who, uh, <laughs> who was in my electronics class, and we, we had electronics together. Um, so this is, uh, we, we had some conversations um, uh, about Jesus and about um and I know. Like you can barely see his face. This is his license, right? His ID. But you can barely see his face. Um, anyways, uh, Donnie, um, I saw something in Donnie that I liked. He had the light of Christ within him, and he showed me. He's the one that invited me to see Jesus, and kind of um, I, I found out that the ideas I had about Jesus, um, some of them were wrong. And, um, and, and my ideas of, of Jesus fell short. And so I followed Donnie, right? I was, I was, I was imitating him. I, I started listening to the Christian bands that he introduced me to, and um, he took me to Christian concerts, and he took me to church. And so I started imitating Donnie. And so, so now that you know that I am a disciple uh, of Donnie, like I started Now you know why I do weird things with my hair, see? Okay. Um, I picked up this from Donnie. Okay. Um, so, when I started going uh, to church, uh, he started bringing me to church, and I did become a Christian my freshman year of high school uh, in 1995, March 5th, 1995. So, um, and then uh, I met uh, Jesse Kegg. Um, there's another picture about him. He, he looks more normal here. Um, I got to do his wedding, perform his wedding in Daytona on the beach on Valentine's Day at sunrise. It was awesome. Um, um, and that's his wife, and he looks more normal now. This is Jesse Kegg. He was the youth minister at the church that that Donnie started bringing me to, and he was off the wall. This guy was crazy. Um, And just lots of energy everywhere, really smart, really fun to be be around, and so I started imitating him as well. Um, And and Jesse was a student at um, Florida Christian College when I met him, and I ended up going to Florida Christian College and following him in his footsteps. So there's this... External imitating that we do. When we find someone that we want to be like, we start imitating them. It starts with this practice. Alright, so before something was going on inside, there was something going on externally. Okay? So um it starts with these habits. Like I started to become like Donnie, I started to become like Jesse, but then on the inside, something else was happening. It's 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 like when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and then later on. In Matthew, he says you are the light of the world. Something happens on the inside. Enlightenment is the internal result of discipleship. Now, they both happen, one off of the other. And so we exist on these two levels. We are fully physical, and we are fully spirit. Now, discipleship happens externally, right? It's, it's happening in your mind and in your body. You're learning intellectually. It's what you think and act and do. And enlightenment has more to do with being. It's what's going on in your spirit. It's beyond action. Enlightenment is when something impossible happens. It's when the, it's when the DNA of God is infused with your DNA. Or as Acts 2 puts it, it's, it's when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's when you're transformed. It's when those actions, those external things that you've been doing, become who you are, and it's no longer a habit. It's who you are. You've been Transformed. And so let's talk about this metaphor of light. Now, the way John talks about it, he uses um, a strange word. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a word that has many translations, and so it's hard to translate it. I think the translators did a, a good job uh, in our Bibles, but it's such an ambiguous word that it has many <laughs> meanings, and it can be translated many ways. Um, the word here in our text is found in, in verse 5 and verse 11, and in verse 12, and it's, it, the, the root word is laban And it's um, this idea, un, it's translated in verse 5. Catamon is translated understood. But if you look in your, um, in your Bibles, mine has a footnote that says it can also mean overcome. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And in my footnote it says the darkness has not overcome it. So it can be translated that way. It can also be translated receive in verse 11, received in verse 12, uh, this, the, the, the verse 12 version of is used 257 times uh, in the New Testament and translated 75 different ways, like counted in my concordance, uh, 275 different words um, from marriage to, to all these different um, things that this word can mean. So it's, it's already an ambiguous word. It's got a lot of different ways it can be translated into English. And I think John did this on purpose. I think he used a word that's kind of ambiguous and kind of open um, because of the metaphor we're dealing with, this idea of light. Now, light, uh, it can, it can uh, be many different things. But, and, and when you compare it with darkness, it, that they're not opposites. What they are, darkness, is the absence of light, all right? The two cannot exist in the same space. So when light shows up, there is no darkness. And in our our metaphor here, darkness seems to be the things that steal away life, the things that that steal away good and love. Now, it can be the big things in the world, like disease, right, like cancer. Uh, It can be like terrorism can be darkness or violence. And it can also be very personal things, like our desires, our own deeds, our own betrayal, our own sin, right? The The dark things in our past are going on in our present. All of those things can be this metaphor of darkness. Um, but John's saying that when light shows up, the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot receive light. Light always wins. Okay, so when light shows up, there is no room for darkness. And he doesn't say how, right? When cancer shows up, light is going to win, and we have to figure out how that works. But light is going to win in the face of the darkness. Okay, so when when Jesus shows up, His light shines, and our darkness, our, our darkness can't overcome it. Our darkness can't receive Jesus's light. It flees. Right. So I have this image of of a God who sends me out of His presence because of my darkness, because of my <coughs> sin, and that's the picture we have of God. God is holy, and nothing unholy can enter His presence. And so in the Old Testament, we have all of these rules and regulations and rituals to make sure that darkness does not enter the presence of God. And so there's this fear of God. There's this fear of the light that we see. But I think Jesus is pulling us forward. Even in the Old Testament it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning. And now with Jesus, Jesus came and made possible for God light to enter darkness and for us to enter God's holy presence. So when light shows up, there is no darkness. And There is no light. So for God, when he is light, he can't sneak up on darkness. He can never see darkness because he is light, right? He can try to sneak up on it, but as soon as he gets there, the darkness is gone because he can't. He's light. and When he shows up, um, there is no darkness. The darkness will flee every time. Light will win every time. And so when you draw near to God, Your darkness can't stay. It will flee. When God sees you, he doesn't see your darkness because of his light. That's why Jesus put on flesh. That's why Jesus came, to clothe you in light. So your darkness, your betrayal, could never douse the light of God. And so when he is there, there is light and not darkness. Your darkness always flees. So this is why things like um, 12-step programs, um, addiction recovery programs like AA, um, this is why these things work, because they seek out darkness and they drag it out into the light. The darkness is is hunted down and it's brought out into the light where it ceases to be darkness and it ceases to have power and light wins and light overcomes. Steps four and five of the 12 steps. Um, Step number four is perform a searching Fearless, moral inventory of self. We don't like to do that. We don't like to to find our darkness. We don't like to go looking for it. We don't like to think about those things that are darkness within us. Not fun. Step number five. Admit to God, self, and another the exact nature of our wrong. We don't like to do that either. That's not fun. These are the things that we need to do to get our darkness out into the light. Because the truth is we're all addicted to something. I mean if, if you're an addict and you have a an, an obvious addiction, then then you're 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 a step ahead because you already know what it is. We need to all of us need to find our darkness and bring it out into the light. Because it's it's something you're addicted to. It's your routine, it's your it's control, it's power, maybe it's fear, maybe it's caffeine. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else that's easy to hide and something that's more acceptable in our culture. But whatever it is, we all need to, to bring it out into the light, right? So let's go ahead, turn to your neighbor, and go ahead and, and, and tell your neighbor your deepest, darkest secret. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, it's fine. If you guys want to stay in the darkness, I, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I didn't think you were going to do that. Uh, no. Uh, I I didn't expect you to, but I do believe that this works, right? I do believe that light always wins and that your darkness cannot douse the light of God. And I do believe we do need to do steps four and five, maybe not in the middle of today's teaching, but you do need to find someone who loves you, someone who knows about grace, someone you can trust, and you need to go to them and you need to get your darkness out into the light where it loses its now, this is, a, this is a physical practice, this idea of admitting and, and confessing your darkness. It's a physical thing. But there's always a connection between our physical healing and our spiritual healing. Right? Jesus told a, man, a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. And then he told him to get up and walk. And so there's this connection between physical healing, whether it's emotional or your heart or your head or your body, some of this, uh, it comes with getting that darkness out into the light. Doing a, a, an actual physical practice uh, brings about physical healing. But it also brings about a spiritual healing. And that's enlightenment. right? The enlightenment when your sins are forgiven, and when you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this healing and this light, your enlightenment, it all happened because Jesus put on flesh. And the word uh, Paul uses here is sarx. And, and it refers uh, specifically to skin and fat, right? So the, the mushy stuff uh, going on on your body. Um, he didn't use the word soma, which means your whole body—organs, bones, skin, hair. Like he could have used that word, which we know Jesus didn't have it—the whole body and not just the, uh, the flesh part of the body. Um, so, so why did John use this word? Well, I think what John is pointing to is the ridiculousness of logos. The creative power that sustains and runs through everything, being something, becoming something so weak. In the Hebrew mind, flesh is weakness. All right. So John, what John is reminding us here is that this is a huge leap for God to cram Himself into such a weakness. A friend uh, said it like this: He said uh, his daughter was asking him to play dress up, and uh, and girls develop a, a fascination with shoes very early. I don't know what that is. Uh, but the, she, she asked him to put on her shoes. And so he got these little shoes and he's trying to cram his foot. He got like one toe in the shoe and he's walking, you know. Um, b- very interesting. So this is what God is doing. God is cramming himself into a body, something that he created. Um, it's, it's taking this, um, ra- it's a radical reduction from the power that is God into um, this body. He's cramming himself into weakness. Now let's consider our skin. All right, look at your hand. Look at your feel your, your forearms and the skin on your hands. Um, think about it. I mean, think about how amazing it is. It, it's vulnerable and yet it protects our body from all sorts of attacks, right? From heat and cold and germs. Uh, it feels um, it feels uh, and it it uh, warns us of danger. Like that's hot, don't touch it, right? Or um, it, it it shields us from disease and. And, and when there's pain, we know uh, not to do that. And it can also feel pleasure. And so our body and the skin and our hands, uh, our body is capable of causing pain and damage and destruction. It's also capable of spreading love and joy and hope, right? They can, you can give a hug with your hands. Uh, you can uh, prepare a meal. You can enjoy a meal. You can build houses. You can share a smile. See, God made your body and God chose to inhabit a body. And yet the theology of the body over history has been warped. Some have said that the, the body is not a necessary, necessary part to the spiritual life. And as a result, this theology and, and other false ideas, we've developed this bad relationship with our body. Right? We've, we've denied what God made in his image and called good, and we've called it not good. Right? We've, we've broken a relationship between body and body. Spirit, but we see in the incarnation that the body is necessary. Jesus chose it, right? God chose to use the body, and we need to recover a good relationship with our body because we're supposed to use it too. Our body is a gift, and it's to be used as a gift to this world. For some of us, um, our body has failed us. Our body may be a source of frustration because it's not working properly or the way it used to, For some of us, maybe we don't like the way it looks, and so we distance ourselves from it, and we ignore it. Some of us have been taught that our body is full of evil, and so we fight against it rather than allowing God to remove the darkness. And so if we're attached from our body, if we have a bad relationship with our body, right, the one that God gave us as a gift, the one that he made in his image, and that affects our relationship with God. It limits how we can relate to God because our body was a gift and it's to be used as a gift to the world. So we need to have gratitude for this gift. We need to be thankful to God for, for what he has given us. Now, now as you, as you think about your body, understand that God gave that to you as a gift and understand that he's still giving to you. He is pouring into you, enlight, enlightening you. You're to receive the gift and you're also to give it. So because he became flesh, and because he enlightens, and because light always wins, you can be the person God created you to be. We can be the church Jesus dreamed of when he died to make it happen. He, uh, he reminds us again of the importance of our body when he establishes communion. When he establishes communion, uh, he says, I'm going I'm to let you experience this. Whenever you meet together, do this in remembrance of me and what I'm going to use to help you experience me. Sarks, my flesh. I'm going to ask the men to come forward, and we're going to go ahead and uh, partake of communion. And I'm going to um, I'm going to read a story and kind of guide us through uh, taking communion. Now, um, when you uh, when you go ahead, yeah, go ahead, pass it out while I talk. When you uh, get the emblems here, some bread and some uh, in the cup. They represent Jesus' body and blood. And I want you to just hold on to them. And we're all going to take it together. when I tell you to? So so go ahead and hold it. Just hold it in your hand. um, And and we're going to walk through this together. And so communion is this thing intended for disciples of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Christ, um, this is what he uh, left for us to remember him. He says, whenever you meet together... Um, have some bread, drink some uh, wine, drink grape juice here, because you might not be 21. Um, we, uh, so, so you do this, and um, you remember um, his body and his blood. And so today, as we pass the end ones, I want you to hold them. And after I read the story, uh, I'll instruct you um, to go ahead and take the bread first and then the cup. And, and we'll do this together. So this is a practice, right? This is a use of our body, an external practice as we remember his body. But there's also this internal element going on, and that's different for everybody. Something going on in your spirit uh, that only you know about, this, this interaction between you and God. So I'm going to read the story that, um, that places us there that night. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of communion, it took place on a Thursday night during, uh, during Passover, um, Jesus was there with his disciples, and um, and they were having a meal together. Now, Judas, one of Jesus's disciples, had um, had betrayed Jesus. He had already sold information to religious authorities so that they could arrest him at a time when there weren't crowds around. And Judas accepted a payment of uh, of silver to betray his friend. And so, later that night, later that same day, um, Jesus was arrested. And the next day he was put on a cross um, where he was a sacrifice for our sins. So if everyone has their uh, the bread and the cup, I'd like you to um, close your eyes and kind of focus on these emblems as I read the story. And kind of, um, it, This story kind of puts us there. It's kind of from the perspective of, of one there at that time. So if you close your eyes, I'm going I'm to read the story. It is evening, and you are gathered together with the other disciples in a small room for Passover. All the time you are watching Jesus while he sits quietly in the shadows, listening to the idle chatter, watching over those who sit around him, and from time to time telling stories about the kingdom of God. As night descends, a meal of bread and wine is brought into the room. It is only at that moment That Jesus sits forward so that the shadows are no longer covering his face. He quietly brings the conversation to an end by capturing each one with his intense gaze. Then he begins to speak. My friends, take this bread, for it is my very body broken for you. Every eye is fixed on that bread that is laid on the table. While these words seem obscure and unintelligible, everyone picks up on their gravity. Then Jesus carefully pours wine into the cup of each disciple until it overflows onto the table. Take this wine and drink of it, for it is my very blood shed for you. With these words, an ominous shadow seems to descend upon the room, a chilling darkness that makes everyone shudder uneasily. Jesus continues, as you do this, remember me. Most of the gathered disciples begin to slowly eat the bread and drink the wine, lost in their thoughts. You, however, cannot bring yourself to lift your hand at all, for his words have cut into your soul like a knife. Jesus does not fail to notice your hesitation and approaches, lifting up your head with his hand so that your eyes are level with his. Your eyes meet for only a moment, but before you are able to turn away, You are caught up in a terrifying revelation at that instant you experience the loneliness the pain the sorrow that Jesus is carrying you see the nails being driven through skin and bone you hear the crowds cheering and the cries of pain as iron cuts against flesh at that moment you see the sweat that flows from Jesus like blood and you experience the suffocation madness and pain that will soon envelop him. More than all of this, however, you feel a trace of the separation he will soon feel in his own being. In that little room, which occupies no significant space in the universe, you have caught a glimpse of a divine vision that should never have been disclosed, yet it is indelibly etched into the eyes of Christ for anyone brave enough to look. You turn to leave, To run from that place, you long for escape, but Jesus grips you with his gaze, and he smiles compassionately, and he holds you tight in his arms like no one has ever held you before. He understands that this weight is too heavy for you to carry. All this makes you painfully uncomfortable, and so you shift in your chair and fumble in your pocket, all the time distracted by the silver that weighs heavy in your pouch. Then he lifts the wine that sits before you, whispering, Take this wine, my dear friend, and drink it up, for it is my very blood, and it is shed for you. So now with your eyes still closed, and your mind focused on these emblems that are in your hands, these emblems that represent the body and the sacrifice made for you, I want you to allow the darkness of your betrayal to come to the front of your mind. Let it make you uncomfortable, just for a moment. And then, allow these emblems that you hold in your hand to become the flesh and blood of Christ, the Logos, the Zoe, the true light that gives light to all men. And allow that light to enlighten you. It will make your darkness flee and you will become light now with your darkness gone sitting with Christ thank him for your body experience gratitude for the gift that your body is and allow that gift to be a gift to the world around you then direct your gratitude toward this other gift that you hold in your hands The sacrifice of his body for you. Allow that immense love and light to sink in. Feel its weight. Now envision his face, eye level with you, looking into your eyes and pass them into your soul. And imagine his mouth moving, saying these words. And as I do, I want you to take the bread and eat. Jesus says to you, This bread is my body, broken for you. I love you. Take and eat. And now with the cup, Jesus says to you, this cup is my blood shed for you. I love you. Take and drink. Dear God, I uh, thank you for cramming yourself into weakness so that we might have salvation, so that we might have a relationship with you. We thank you for your light that makes our darkness flee. And we pray that we can use our bodies to be a blessing to this world. And we thank you for that gift. Since so in Jesus now, I pray.